Hello, and welcome to the Faith and More podcast. I firmly believe God works through people every day to help us. These people are selfless and so very humble. The majority of us don't even know they exist or existed. My name is Angel, and each podcast I will showcase one of these amazing people. Their stories will uplift, inspire, encourage, support, heal, and give you hope. Hello and welcome to the show. How is everyone doing? I hope you're all doing well and that you're blessed. If you're new to the show, thank you so much for finding us and for tuning in. And if you're returning, thank you so much for returning. This week, I'm going to share with you a little of probably one of the best spiritual teachers of our days that's still within our days, still alive, still teaching, um, and has made such an impact on my life. And I'm sure that if you give him a moment, he will make a major impact on your life as well. This week, we're going to be talking about Muji. My wife actually found Muji on YouTube, I would say probably back in 2005, 2006. So many of his teachings and satsangs are on YouTube. He's got several YouTube channels. Again, I'll have links to those in the show notes for the show. Um, But she introduced me to Muji through the videos and I was completely blown away. Um, At that time, I was actually conducting satsangs myself and was uh, teaching Buddhism and Eastern philosophy, Advaita, Vedanta, uh, things of that nature. I taught from 2004 to 2008 uh, from my home and uh, had some great students who have now become uh, great friends and great family. Um, So here we're going to talk about Muji. So the following information I'm going to be reading from is actually from Muji's website, again, There will be a link to that as well as everything I talk about and share in the show in the show notes. It begins by saying Muji is a true light in this world whose presence, wisdom and loving guidance point us to who we are beyond the limitations of our personal conditioning and identity In open interactions with this great spiritual master. Seekers of truth from all backgrounds and traditions are introduced to the direct path to freedom through self inquiry and the invitation, which is proving to be one of the most effective aids for true and lasting self-realization. Universal in his appeal, Muji's wisdom, compassion, openness, and humor profoundly touch the hearts of those who meet him, thereby inspiring each one to find within themselves the deep peace, love, and silence they recognize in him. Muji, also known as Anthony or Tony Paul Mu Young, was born the 29th of January 1954 in Port Antonio, Jamaica, to Euphemia Bartlett, also later known as Euphemia Hamilton, and Enos Mu Young. When he was about a year old, Euphemia moved to England, and young Anthony remained in Jamaica in the care of his father and his aunt Eunice, who he referred to as Miss Nicey. She lovingly embraced him and with great love and care as though he was one of her own sons. Anthony, or Tony Moo, also regarded her as his kind and loving mother. Enos was a very devoted and affectionate father. He himself was highly respected in their town because of his kindness, equanimity, and warmth towards everyone. He was seen by many as a friend and was affectionately called Papa Enos 
or mas enus. Mas is a warm and respectful way of greeting a man used instead of the title mister. Enos was the eldest of three children. He was followed by his sister Mabel and their youngest brother George. Enos had been an officer in the British Royal Air Force and served for several years. In Jamaica, he was a respected accountant at the Jamaica Reef Hotel a mile away from their home. And then Anthony was always overjoyed to visit his dad in his hotel office from time to time. Anthony had an extraordinarily close relationship with his father and speaks of him with great adoration, respect, and love. Those years with his father, Eunice, and his other siblings were totally showered in love, playfulness, and a deep sense of security. The family lived together in the Muyung's family home, a long zinc-roofed wooded house behind the grocery shop and saloon bar, which was the Muyung family business. Enos's younger brother, George, ran the business himself. The house had different sections where Anthony's uncles and aunts and their children also lived. It felt like they were one big family and one couldn't easily distinguish who was whose child. It was a very beautiful and nurturing environment for a child, as Muji recollects. In 1962, Enos traveled to the capital city of Kingston, accompanied by George to undergo some medical test, but he never returned home. He died suddenly of pneumonia in Kingston. The unexpected death of his father had a big impact on Anthony's life. He was only eight years old at the time. However, the strength and warmth of his upbringing put the young boy's mind in good steed for what was later to come. George, Anthony's uncle, took over the responsibility for the upbringing and his life changed suddenly and drastically under his uncle's care and supervision. Uncle George, as Anthony would call him, was a hard-working family man with four children of his own. He cared for the family business, which was the grocery shop on the main road just in front of the house. Uncle George had strong religious views, and he had felt for a while that his nephew needed more discipline rather than an outpouring of affection he had experienced with his father. This new life with his uncle was not the most comfortable or enjoyable period because it was a strict discipline excuse me, discipline he began receiving. Added to this, he had to do difficult chores and to work most days after school in the grocery shop, a time he would otherwise have spent playing outside. However, it was during this period with his uncle that he was introduced to the Bible in a very intimate way. Along with his cousin, Joanne, he had to get up early each morning to read and discuss passages from the Bible with his uncle before going to school. It was due to these early morning readings under mosquito net and candlelight that Anthony developed a deep love for biblical stories and in particular the life and teachings of Jesus Christ and those of the prophets of old. Only later did he come to appreciate that his disciplines he so disliked earlier had actually contributed greatly to his later life. When Anthony was about 13 years old, his uncle left to live in America and gradually sent for all his children to join him in the United States. Anthony stayed in Port Antonio with Eunice and his other siblings. After Uncle George and his family immigrated to the United States, Anthony's life returned to a level of freedom and playfulness again with his brothers and sisters and under the motherly care of Eunice. In 1968, Anthony began to correspond with his birth mother, Euphemia, 
which awakened a mutual yearning to be together. In fact, she herself journeyed to Jamaica with the intention of bringing Anthony back to England with her. They traveled together to England, but Anthony was refused entry because his papers were not fully in order. Things eventually, by grace, fell in place and he entered the UK in 1970 to join his mother and the rest of his UK family. He was 16 years old. A new chapter had begun. In his 20s, he finished school and completed his college course in Waterloo. Then after working a few odd jobs, Muji began working as a street artist in London, making charcoal and pastel portraits of tourists outside the National Portrait Gallery on Charing Cross Road and later on in the famous Shaftesbury Avenue in Piccadilly Circus. This was a very exciting, adventurous period for him as he was meeting people from all over the world. But in 1985, all of this came to an abrupt end when his eldest sister, Cherry, was accidentally shot by the police and paralyzed, an event which led to the infamous Brixton riots. Muji found himself in an uncomfortable position of spokesperson for the family and pushed into the limelight. The impact of this experience brought an end to his life as a street artist. In 1987, Muji met Michael, a seemingly chance meeting which would completely change his life. Muji often describes Michael as a young Christian mystic, and he was powerfully drawn to Michael's humility, wisdom, faith, and trust in Christ. Together, they would have very deep and inspiring conversations about the life and teachings of Jesus Christ and living with the daily challenges of a present-day disciple. These profound meetings were the precursor and a kind of catalyst to Muji's conscious search for truth. At the end of one of these conversations, Muji asked Michael to pray for him the next time that he would pray, to which Michael simply replied, sure, but why not now? And they prayed together. Muji himself also prayed spontaneously and found some words flowing by themselves. These words were, please enter my heart, fill my heart completely, guide me to you. Following the prayer, Muji experienced a great lightness and peace inside his being. He felt he didn't want to sleep in case this emerging peace and joy might fade away. But when he awoke the next morning to his delight, it was still very present. And to this day, the deep inner peace has remained undisturbed. It was during that auspicious meeting in 1987, together with Michael, that the first awakening took place to the reality of God as the living presence, joy, and power pervading all life. Muji said, After this, I felt I was moving in the footsteps of a higher power, guided by an unseen force. I was a changed man from there on. All that I had lived before, including who I considered myself to be, became insignificant overnight. Muji began to spend a lot of time on his own, deeply absorbed in this new state that had come over him. For a while, he attended the church gatherings in Michael's room, but shortly after, he left there and began spending time on his own. An inner mystical connection with the Supreme continued to blossom powerfully. Muji says, I knew the Christ's light and love of God had entered and filled my heart, and I simply walked out of the life I felt was mine. A deep feeling of blissful detachment arose inside my being. It was as though I was now perceiving life sitting on the lap of God. 
Around this time, Moody resigned from his work as an art teacher at the local college in Brixton and began moving about freely. It was a time of profound transformation, silent and rich in intuitive understanding, insights, and awakenings. In fact, for about three or four years during this period, Muji struggles to remember anything of how those years passed. There was little inclination to be in the company of worldly-minded people. The sense of past and future was disappearing rapidly. His mind was becoming increasingly introverted, rooted in the love of God. At some point, Muji began to look for anyone who would guide him more quickly into higher states of consciousness in order to transcend the personal tendencies that were still coming up. One day he walked into Watkins, a well-known spiritual bookstore in the center of London. Now, not being inclined to reading, his eye caught a picture of a serene-looking face on the cover of a very thin book of just a few pages. Who Am I? was the title, and the teachings were of Ramana Maharishi. However, when he opened it, Muji was unable to grasp the self-inquiry that was offered there, and he immediately closed the book, sure that this serene face on the cover had been put on the wrong book. Instead, he found another book, The Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. Muji says, I was so moved by the few words I read in this book that I was unable to put it down. Ramakrishna's words were speaking directly into my heart, confirming much of what I had an intuitive since but was not clear enough to articulate. One day, Muji's sister, Cherry, requested him to make a mural painting on a wall in her house. Cherry was paralyzed and could only move around with a wheelchair. Muji made several beautiful murals depicting typical scenes of the Jamaica countryside they both knew as children growing up. Cherry loved these paintings so much that she gifted him some money. With that money, and without any real plans except a powerful urge to drink in as much spiritual grace and guidance as he could, Muji traveled to India. Muji arrived in Delhi with the sole intention of traveling to Ramakrishna's home and temple. He had spent a short time in Rishikesh at the foothills of the Himalayas when one day, as he happened to be walking up from the Holy Ganga River, he had an auspicious encounter with three devotees of a great Advaita sage, Sri Haril Punja. Later, Muji came to realize that this instance of these beings, that he should travel back with them to meet Sri Punjaji, lovingly known as Papaji, was divinely orchestrated. Muji had no desire to meet any sages, gurus, or holy beings, and he put off meeting uh, Papaji, who was living and teaching in Lucknow. Instead, he traveled to the holy city of Varanasi, where he spent 10 days. One morning, he woke up with a strong urge to visit Papaji and bought a train ticket to Lucknow that day. Muji tells, when I met Papaji, I knew in my heart that my steps were guided by grace. The urge to go to Calcutta and to visit Ramakrishna's place began subsiding. I was in the presence of a living Buddha. It was my time with Papaji in Lucknow that really brought me into the experiential recognition of self as pure awareness. Muji spent a few months in Lucknow in Papaji's gracious presence. During this time, he traveled to Tirumamali, South India, with Papaji's blessing. 
to visit the ashram of Sri Ramana Maharashi, who was Papaji's own master. While there, Muji also felt very privileged to meet the renowned Saint Sri Yogi Ramasura Kumar and Ma Devaki, who was who were Yogi's Yogiji's excuse me closest disciple. Muji says, "I felt inside my heart that I was increasingly settling into India as a place of deep spiritual knowledge, nourishment, and grace. It felt like the land of the spirit to me." One morning again, Muji awoke with a powerful urge to return to Lucknow and see Papaji. Upon his return, he received news from London that his eldest son, Jason, had died of viral pneumonia. Muji returned to London immediately to be with his family and to arrange for the burial of his son. He felt he returned home with Papaji's presence inside his heart. In London, looking for a way to make a living, Muji began selling incense on Electric Avenue in Brixton Market. It was a time of great joy and freedom. It was during this period that Muji began to encounter beings who were drawn to him. Some of them continued to follow him to this very day. In 1997, Muji was to return to India to be with Papaji once again. Now, I do want to back up just a minute there. When he was selling incense and stuff uh, back in Brixton again and getting a gathering of people, what that was all brought about was uh, when he would sell his incense and things of that nature and also chai tea, uh, Muji would give people a straw and wrapped around the straw would be like a saying for them that Muji had written uh, from the core of his being in his heart. Well, this started to catch on and, you know, people kept returning because, you know, they, they were these weren't fortunes or anything by that nature, but these were. Um, sayings and, and bits of information and words that would, you know, help encourage and uplift and, and, and strengthen them um, and get them in touch with what they truly are, which we all truly are um, divine in nature. We come from God, therefore God is in each and every one of us. And this is what Muji uh, was bringing out in people. So he began to get a following of people that were coming regularly and they started to ask for teachings you know share share with us more on this you know how can we understand this more so he began to you know just give these spontaneous teachings to people and that one thing led to another and led to another so in 1997 muji was to return to india to be with papaji once again unbeknown to him this would be his final time physically sitting at his master's feet in september 1997 a month after muji returned to London, a friend called to inform him that Papaji had left his body. Sometime later, when someone was interviewing him and asked how he was affected by the death of his master, Muji said, "The master does not die. It is the ma the master, the is the Mister. Excuse me, the person that dies. The master, that timeless and unborn principle within, alone exists and is the real." Now, please don't misunderstand by him referring to Papaji as master. That is just an honorific title of teacher. It doesn't mean enslavement or any kind of cult following or anything like that. It is just an honorific title that an Indian culture in, in those um, areas, that's what people will refer to. Gurus, they're also called gurus, masters, teachers, and things like that. 
And we can greatly see how, as this bio goes, how Muji awakened and, and, and how he evolved. I mean, just a simple fact is somebody that was he was so fond and, and close to as Papaji, his spiritual teacher or guru, um, had passed away. And to which, you know, Muji said, you know, that which is the essence of Papaji is not dead. It's, he's still alive. Of course, that goes for all of us. That part of us, our soul, that divine is is never gone you know what we miss is the person the physical um that passes away we miss that physical contact being able to talk to that person to hug that person to be with that person uh physically but they're still around they're they're not gone they're not gone at all they're, they've just gone to a different place and the energy of that person the divine of that person has moved on over the next few years, Muji's incense selling in the local market had evolved into Muji's Chai Shop, a small, colorful stall outside the shop front of Brixton Whole Foods. Here he was making chai, which is Indian tea, kombucha, and red rhino, which is an original health drink he created. It was a popular place, though he only opened the chai shop on Saturdays. It was here that some of his early seekers would come to meet him. More and more people began visiting Muji at the chai shop, recognizing the peace and joy that was emanating from him. It was around this time that he began meeting with a small number of determined seekers inside his tiny apartment in Brixton Hill. In those early years, Muji was not inclined to speak, though this did not deter increasing numbers of people seeking him out to sit with him and draw by his radiant presence and love. Gradually, some of them began asking questions regarding the nature of consciousness and their search for the direct experience of truth. As Muji was happiest sitting in silence, he prayed to God that since these kind of seekers were now increasing, that God would also provide the inspiration, grace, and power to bring them into the truth. Thus, Muji found the capacity to answer not only the questions, but to expose and expel the deep undetected tendencies inside the questioner's minds. It had become increasingly clear to him that both the questions and the questioners are phenomenal and the deeper truth, the God self is ever beyond awaiting the recognition and discovery by the earnest seeker. This was the birthing of the satsang. And this is when people began calling him Muji. Now the addition to his name G, which is written J-I, again, that's more of an honorific term uh, used in Indian culture. And it just means like teacher or highest regarded, uh, things of that nature. Again, it's not a cult thing. They're not worshiping him. They're not, you know, they, they see that Muji is a physical representation of someone who's gotten in touch and awakened to their divine nature which is no different than each and every one of us we all have that same divine nature we just haven't awakened to that so through muji's teachings and his satsangs um, he takes people by the hand and guides them through it as videos in his teachings are here i go truly amazing and believe me, it's not like over the top, over your head stuff. It's very raw, 
down-to-earth things that you can understand that you will when you listen to him and watch him you're like wow why how come i how did i not figure this out myself this is just like so um so so basic you know but our lives get so wrapped up in material and worldly and you know when we're born we're that you know as close as we can possibly get to that true nature we're a, a pretty much a clean slate but you know over time we're conditioned by what we're taught by what we're shown by what we experience um and that just keeps going and it adds layers and layers and layers upon that true nature they always um you know the great teachers always refer to it i believe i've said in a previous uh podcast or show that it's like a mirror you know it becomes dirty it becomes cloudy and the the whole thing is 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 as we delve into this and getting in touch an awakening to what we truly are and that everybody truly is. It's not just a me thing. As a matter of fact, it's an un-me thing. Um, is clearing that, you know, mirror and it's clearing that conditioning. And that takes a long time. It takes a lot of patience and a lot of work because the world and and things of the world do not want you to get in touch with that. They want you to be totally dependent on what is the latest thing, you know, buy the latest gadget, buy this, you know, lights, pretty things. Um, it's always about, you know, the, the, as they say, the seven deadly sins. Another great teacher, a Tibetan teacher by the na- name of Sogyal Rinpoche, always referred to it as this way. If you've got a glass of, of water, um, that is what you truly are. You're clear. But then you throw mud in it, and, and that is your conditioning. And you swirl that mud around, and, the, and it becomes, you know, it contaminates that clear. Does it change the water? No, because the mud is outside the water, but it gives the appearance that it, uh, it clouds it, it obscures it, you know, obscures our view to that clear water. So the best thing to do for that is to let the glass sit to let ourselves sit. And that's why meditation is such a big key thing in spiritual awakening, because it's when you sit, when you rest, that you allow that mud to settle. You clean that mirror. Um, And I know it sounds like it's a, a big, deep and hard thing, but it really isn't. And again, you know, watching videos of Muji and his teachings, he can take you step by step through it. Again, I'll have links um, in the show notes to his uh, YouTube channels and also to his website. Check him out, really. Since then, Muji has been sharing songs with seekers from all over the world whose hearts are yearning to directly recognize and experience the one true self. Though he has traveled all over the world sharing the truth he found, Muji spends most or more time, I should say, at Mont Sahaji in Portugal, the UK, and also in India. Muji's wisdom, guidance, and love are renowned, and his powerful presence is tangible in every encounter, revealing itself in all those who meet him genuinely. He has a remarkable ability to guide those who are earnest into the direct recognition of the true self. His teachings and pointers are known for their accessibility and universal appeal. Beyond Being beyond judgment and the grip of personal conditioning, he responds to questions from people from every walk of life 
with uncommon clarity, wisdom, compassion, and profound simplicity. And perhaps this is one of the reasons why thousands are discovering and accepting Muji as a true heart master. So again, I don't know if I explained it enough before, but a satsang is just a meeting with a spiritual teacher where they usually will give a teaching and then they open the floor to people who want to ask questions. And this is not something that's forced. Um, it's, it's voluntary and people get up and they ask all kinds of questions about their life. They share so many things about what they've been through um, on their path and their life and what they want to do and what they're trying to experience. Of course, everyone there is trying to wake up. Now, this isn't to be confused with the woke uh, movement in the U.S. today by any means. Uh, this is a waking uh, to what you spiritually and truly are, that divine in you that is in everyone. So as we go to closing here, I'm going to read a brief excerpt here from Muji. All genuine seekers of the truth, which is what we truly and divinely are, must become aware that we are already that which we are presently seeking, that the truth is inside us as one undivided reality. This is the most important search in the human kingdom, the search for our ultimate understanding leading to the end of all suffering. So let me break that down to you a little bit, if I may. So again, you know, we all are seeking, you know, those who are into spiritual things, even even if you're Christian or Catholic or Muslim or Buddhist or what have you, we all are seeking. What are we seeking? We're seeking the divine. But, you know, as Muji points out here and all of the great Vedanta and Advaita teachers uh, teach and share is that what you are seeking, you already are. Again, that divine nature is innately in all of us. It's not in Joe or George or Mary or Martha only. It's in every single one of us. But we keep running outwardly looking for this. You know, if I, if I just get this book and read this book, if I just watch this video, if I just do this, if I just do that, there's nothing to do other to, than to wake up to what we truly and naturally are. It's something that never changes in us. As a matter of fact, it's the only thing in each of us that never changes, and that's that divine nature. Hey, it sounds like I was, <laughs> I know a little something about this uh, because I used to teach this stuff, uh, which is, is, it's great. So again, I just want to expand on this some more is that, you know, Muji is pointing to that which we all truly are and that this seeking that we constantly do, this running, this looking outward, uh, we need to stop. You know, again, that's what you, you know, stop shaking the glass, sit the glass down, let the mud settle, sit, stop running, stop looking, stop seeking because that what you want is already what you are. So there's nothing to find, nothing to grasp, nothing to buy, uh, nothing to get. It's already, it's already you. And so Muji's pointing to this by saying, you know, that, that you are the truth, you know, and, and that's the most important thing is the, the search in life 
for most people is the divine, the search for peace, the search for awakening, or as some refer to as enlightenment. Um, we already have that. We already are that. Um, and at the end of that, once you awaken, the more you become awakened to what you truly are, though your physical suffers still, and those around you physically will suffer, you ultimately or innately at your very core will not suffer. You know, they can hurt, you know, and this is even in the Bible, you know, they can, they can hurt you on the outside. They can kill you physically, but they cannot destroy or kill what you truly are. I hope that makes some kind of sense. Sorry, I didn't mean to ramble there, folks. Before we go, I wanted to ask a huge favor of everybody, if I may. And that would be that if you have enjoyed the show or any of the shows, if you've made it this far, then obviously you found it at least interesting. Um, could you please share the show with at least one friend or family member? In doing this, it helps the show to get out to other people and to help others. And that's the core um, reason for this show is to help others, to encourage others, to uplift each other, to heal others. And I believe that is obtainable from each of the shows that we've had. And I want that to continue. And I would love for that to spread as far as we can spread it with other people. So if you could please do that favor for me, I would so much appreciate it. Thank you so much. This week's song of the week is none other than Muji himself singing Shankara Karuna Kara. Thank you all so very much for tuning in and listening. I'm so looking forward to seeing you all again. But until then, lots of love and blessings to each of you.